one of the ways in which believers at that time reflected and kept their minds on the idea of what God had done for them was to ascend these steps on their knees. And as they ascended their steps, on each of the steps they would say the Paternoster, the Holy Father, and they would be reminded what God had done. I guess lots of those things still carry on. He's going up these steps slowly on his knees with the hope that by doing this, he would uh, liberate his grandfather who had died from purgatory and he would be, re- he would be liberated to, to heaven. And as he's ascending these steps, he hears a kind of... You know, you've probably had this experience. A voice goes off in your head. And it's a voice that went off in his head right from the Bible, and it was this. The just shall live by faith. Faith. The just shall live by faith, not believing that my actions are going to do something, but but actually just trusting. Faith is at the core. And that sparked centuries of thinking and rethinking what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And I would say that that was a moment where Luther was beginning his journey of being liberated from religiosity and released to the freedom and joy of being a believer in Jesus. And I would say that this text that we've been looking at, that we read a few minutes ago, that we're looking at this afternoon, is filled with that idea. But it looks at liberation from actually both sides. People who are slaves to religion and people who are slaves to irreligion. And one is released. One is liberated. So let's have a look at the story and let's get into it a little bit. We'll we'll whiz through it relatively quickly, I hope. But the first thing I want to say is that we see. And as we see, we see someone seeing. And the person that we see seeing... Is Zacchaeus. He entered, Jesus entered Jerusalem, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. I love the way Luke writes. He writes in this brilliant, succinct way that packs into a small number of words enough for us to really understand what he's saying. And he's saying, here's this man called Zacchaeus. He was wealthy, but he was despised by his people. He was corrupt. He was politically manipulative. He was oppressive. And he lived all of his life with the purpose of gaining wealth. That's one thing that we see. And you say, hang on a sec, politically oppressive, self-centered, manipulative, corrupt oppressive, nothing much changes in the world, does it? Actually, in a way, Zacchaeus kind of exposes the human heart. There are ways in which, right across the world, from every political um, heritage, there are people who are just that. Politically manipulative, corrupt, despised, oppressive, and everything is driven for their own personal wealth. 
On the other hand, what Luke tells us about Zacchaeus is that he would be shunned by the people of God. So the religious people of, Je of uh, Jericho would also say, you're an outsider because in a shame culture, where if you did anything and were exposed as doing something awful, you would be shamed and shunned. You were also in a nationalistic culture working for the Romans. Where's the tax being gathered? There was, a, there was an ancient idea, uh, all, all roads lead to Rome is a phrase that you might have heard of. And the idea in that phrase is that, you know, all of the wealth of all of the world that Rome had conquered, the wealth of all of that was sucked into Rome. All roads lead to Rome. You know, all the money heads there. And one of the ways in which it was done was through corrupt tax collection. What's the best way to get maximum taxes? Incentivize the tax collectors to be able to get the maximum tax. Get the maximum tax by corruption. They keep a bit. We don't care. We get more. And so in that one statement, Luke says this, this guy is corrupt, but is also shunned religiously by the people around him. And then he says something really fascinating in verse 3 and 4. He wanted to see Jesus. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Jesus was coming that way. I think it's amazing. I think that's, that's amazing. Here's this, this guy. I, he had obviously already made a decision in life, which is, I don't care. I don't care that I'm going to be shunned. I don't care that people know that I'm skimming. <laughs> I'm beyond that. I, I have no shame. I'm not bothered what you think of me. I am wealthy and secure, but I am fascinated by this Jesus. I, I think that's incredible. A person who had all of the security in the world at that time, who had no personal worries at that time, found a peasant preacher from Galilee fascinating. Wanted to see him. He was drawn. He was shunned, but he was drawn. And being the kind of person that he was... It, Luke kind of fills this narrative with this beautiful picture of this guy, Zacchaeus, who couldn't see Jesus because of the people being small as he was. But also because he's shunned. Do you think he, anybody's going to say, oh yeah, just, just squeeze in here, Zacchaeus? No, of course not. He's just, no chance, pal. This is one moment where we're going to win. You can stand at the back, mate. And you, I don't care if you can't see. You can't tax us for being able to see Jesus. So he runs on ahead and he climbs into a tree to see Jesus. He's probably hidden, I guess, from most of the people. Except that he was not hidden from the one person who was intent on saving him. And as he's Climbing that tree. I think Luke is wanting us to see that in this self-sufficient, shameless guy, 
there is a stirring going on inside of him that is irrepressible. You might experience that. You might be experiencing that. This idea of this Christian faith is just grabbing me. I don't want to go there, but I can't help going there. I don't want to think about it, but I can't help thinking about it. I don't want to be drawn into this world, but I'm being drawn into this world. That's what happens when the power of God starts to deal with our hearts. And Zacchaeus, the self-sufficient, shameless, wealthy man, has a stirring going on inside of him that he just can't get away from. Second thing we see is we signal. Look at verse 5 and 6, because we see this cultural signal shouting out. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. That is a cultural dynamite signal. We all signal. All of us have walked in here today and we have signaled something about ourselves in the way we dress, in the way we've got our hair cut. We're signaling all the time. We're saying something about us in the way that we present ourselves to everybody around us. I was uh, traveling down to London a couple of weeks ago on the train and um, there was a family in front of me, family of four, in the queue at Costa, wanting black coffee in the morning. They were going for, you know what, when you've got four people who all want chocolate, hot chocolate with everything on, and it takes so long. There was four of them in front of me. So I had plenty of time to kind of notice that Dad had a Louis Vuitton bag and a pair of Armani shoes, and then Mum has these Gucci trainers with a Burberry jacket and a Louis Vuitton handbag, and I'm kind of, oh yeah, okay, quick Google. 575 pounds for those trainers. That's pretty, that's some, that's some dosh for a pair of trainers. And then you add it all up. What is that? Why do we do that? Because we want to signal something about us. We want to say something. I am a person who wears this immaculately cut Burberry jacket with a pair of Gucci trainers. And, and all the rest of it. It happens all the time. Do you know that nothing happens with the royal family without intimate detail and thought? The dress that Kate wears that reflects Diana is a, ref is, is a massive statement. All the way back to Elizabeth I with her dress. And the pattern is made up of eyes in the dress, in the painting. She didn't have eyes in, the, in her dress, I'm sure, but, but the, the painting says something. The dress is made up of a pattern of eyes. Why? Because she is saying, don't you nation think that you can get away with anything? I can see you everywhere. We're signaling all the time. The global influencer who sides with a particular movement on Instagram not with any words, but with, with a t-shirt or a statement of 
what they carry or what they drink or what they wear, which, which associates themselves with a movement we signal all the time. Jesus makes one of the most incredible signals in their culture. He says, I am coming to your house. That is, that is dynamite. Because you never did that. You never sat down and ate with anybody unless you were in intimate relationship. If you were in deep friendship, then you ate together. You didn't eat together unless you were in that relationship of friendship. So when travelers from all over the place came and visited, there was this statement of, of deep desire for relationship by saying, come and eat with us. Jesus makes this statement. I must stay at your house today. The culture for Zacchaeus was as signal ridden as the culture today. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I am reaching out to you right now with the most expressed intent of friendship with you that anybody can say. Incredible. In fact, we see that immediately everybody understood it. And here we see the first kind of group of people. Those who are bound by religion. All the people, it says in verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. I think, again, Luke chooses his words incredibly carefully. He doesn't say they began to say. He says they began to mutter. In other words, there was a derogatory twist to the conversation. They began to mutter about Jesus and about Zacchaeus. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. One of the things that's really fascinating about this little statement is that what we see again and again in the, in the Gospels is Jesus confronting the religiosity of the religious elite. The Pharisees and the scribes and all of that community of people who were religious leaders. But in this case, all of the community, all of the community gets on the religious bandwagon and says... Zacchaeus is the religious outsider. He is not one of us. He's a sinner. He's an outsider. And therefore, Jesus is now questionable. He's, at, he's questionable because he's going to extend friendship to a sinner. We are, is their statement, we are the religious Righteous, actually. We're the religious righteous because we don't eat with Zacchaeus. Because he's a spiritual outsider. And here we've got this person walking into our community in Jesus, who is the religious elite in one sense. They're beginning to wonder, is he coming in above every other religious leader that we've ever seen? And then suddenly he turns around and does something which is just outrageous. He eats with a sinner. He extends friendship to a sinner. And all of the people, bound by their religiosity, say that's out of order. 
if you're going to be religious, if you're going to be a follower of God, if you're going to be a follower of Yahweh, one of the things that you don't do is you don't eat with sinners. And he is. Isn't it fascinating? In, in one kind of sentence of Jesus, the people reveal their hearts that they are bound by religiosity. They're bound by religiosity. The thing that makes you spiritual is not eating with sinners. And here's this Jesus who's eating with a sinner. But Zacchaeus, verse 8 says, stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This isn't really clear exactly when he said it. Stood up. Is that, does, does he say that as he stands up out of the tree? Does he say that later on in the house? It's not clear. But what is clear is this. In a moment, in the engagement of friendship with Jesus, Zacchaeus is liberated from exactly what he saw as his salvation. All the people say, our salvation is that we don't eat with sinners. Zacchaeus has spent all of his life saying, my salvation comes from my own sense of wealth and security. That's why my safety is. And he's bound by it. He's started down a journey like every other sense of slavery, whether it's religious slavery, to the point where Martin Luther is reflecting on the idea that there are hundreds and hundreds of pilgrims who are just going up and down and up and down the Scala Sancta on their knees again and again. And they are bound by that religiosity. And he says, surely, surely, it's faith that sets us free. And yet, so many don't. They carry on on their knees, doing something which is never going to save them because it doesn't form a relationship with Jesus. Equally, we have a Zacchaeus who is reflected in so far more, actually, of our society who are enslaved to self-security. The self-security of wealth and possession. Wealth or health or relationship. Some security that says, if I've got enough, I'm protected. I'm okay. And he knows what he's done to create that protection. And in a moment, he's released from it. He says, I can't. I can give it away now. I can give it away. I can give it away to the poor. I can restore those fourfold who I've cheated against. Because Why? Because he's liberated. He's liberated from the reliance on what he sees as safety. And suddenly he finds what? He finds in Jesus 
a hope. A hope which is expressed in the way Jesus describes the event where he says this. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. That again is profound. You lot, you religious people of Jericho who've said that horrible cheating tax collector Zacchaeus can't be a son of Abraham because he's an outsider and a rebel and a traitor. And Jesus says he is. Jesus says no. No, he's one who's on the inside. And in that moment he finds in Jesus a home. It's like Zacchaeus finally comes home. I've found, my, I've found my sense of home. Have you ever had one of those moments, not coming to you, your physical home, but finding a moment where you say, oh, I'm home. I'm understood. People get me. People love me. People are providing me with a hope for the future. We, do you know what? We can never find that true home. Never find that true home in this world. We can find tastes and flavors of it. We can find moments of it. But we can never truly be understood until we're understood by Jesus. We can never truly be home until we're home with Jesus. We can never truly be valued until we're valued by Jesus. We can never truly know security until we know the security of Jesus. And that is what Jesus means when he says, I've come to set the captive free. I've come to liberate you, he says. So I guess a few thousand years later, we fall into one of those three groups, every one of us. We fall into the bondage of religion, where we leverage all sorts of religious practices that says, as long as I do these things, God's got to accept me. Or we fall into the boundary of rejecting that idea of God and saying, I'll create my own security. Or if we find true, liberating, coming home in Jesus. 1510, Martin Luther started on a journey of the liberation of faith in Jesus Christ as his hope. Since we started Christchurch in Christmas 2008, there's been all sorts of people who've found that hope, that coming home, that sense of security and being known and loved. And it's liberating. And I pray that for lots more years, that will be the experience here.